0: hey everybody welcome back to on the battlefield with father michael mark antonio me father joseph collins where we are sharing the christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life father michael great to be back with you today why don't you remind our listeners new and old where they can find us on social media and online Outstanding!
1: Uh, great, uh, great as always to be with you all today. Recording, uh, you can of course find on the battlefield on our usual platform at Anchor FM, um, which shares out over a number of other platforms, uh, i Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, uh, and Spotify among others, as well as on Facebook on on the on battlefield podcast Facebook page, and on the non podcast week because this is a by Weekly podcast on the non-podcast week. You can check us out uh, the on the battlefield shorts on YouTube and Rumble, which are just brief little videos with one or the other of us, uh, kind of more informally kicking around some of the ideas and things that we are wrestling with in preparation for the talk So uh, I'm really enjoying them. They are just kind of brief little, you know, five, 10 minute videos. Where we are exploring some ideas that then contribute to the bigger discussions on the podcast. So, uh, it, you know, these are long format; those are shorter and less formal. Check them out if you haven't on YouTube and Rumble. Do like and share our content, and if and uh, write us. We do read the comments and questions that you send, and we appreciate you helping to make this a dialogue. So, please do write us in. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So also on that, uh, on the Rumble side, there's a little bit longer format uh, videos that, that uh, we're doing here at Holy Apostles in Cheyenne that, that I'm posting there. Uh, they're about 45 minutes to an hour long, and they're only on Rumble. They're dealing with uh, some pretty big topics in the church. Uh, I, a half hour, 45 minute talk on faith, love. Unity, spiritual pride, uh, prayer, and hierarchy are the are the six topics. With one intro video, uh, the intro video is up already. The one on faith is going up very soon, and then subsequently the other topics. But Father Michael, that is not what we are talking about today. We are going to be talking about sobriety and vigilance.
1: And before we do, I want to know on that platform that you just me- uh, that you just mentioned. Are you in fact uh, ready?
0: I am always ready to rumble. Ah, you be me do it. Yes, <laughs> let's get ready to rumble. Like that's all I can think
1: about every time I hear it. And uh, you know what the problem is? I, I think that our kids and so many of the uh, so many of the people who are actually somehow legal adults today wouldn't even remember that dude.
0: Like. You had to grow up in a day and age. Hey, if, if you're listening to this and you know the answer, please respond on Facebook. But if you remember who Mean Gene was, let us know.
1: Uh, or, alternate, or alternately, if you don't have Mean Gene, Big John McCarthy. If you can identify Big Big John McCarthy also, uh, do uh, do comment in on that without Googling it. I mean, act, you actually know. Don't Google these things. You either know or you don't know. Right,
0: right, because me and Gene was a staple of my childhood. There you go. So, sobriety and vigilance. Bingo.
1: So, uh, all right. So, why don't you kick us off, man? Like, if when you hear the word sobriety and vigilance,
0: what do you think? Sobriety brings to mind not being drunk or having a serious demeanor. And vigilance is synonymous in my mind with with watchfulness, looking out for danger. How about you?
1: So I think, right, I think for most of my life, I probably would have Seen those things in a similar way, um, but what I want to encourage our listeners to do is to look at them a little bit more conceptually. So I, I didn't really start talking a lot about vigilance until, uh, you know, until after Afghanistan, because when you're dealing, you know, one of the big things you deal with with uh, uh, with battle PTSD is what they call hyper vigilance. You know, you're always aware, you're always on guard, and that's that's a very real thing. Um, but Both of these terms get used in a different way when you're looking at them in scripture. They're both scriptural terms. So so the scriptural term for sobriety is nipsios. And uh, and when Christ tells us in the gospel, when he says, be watchful and, and be vigilant, he says, Grigorite, be watchful, all of you. That's also the same verb that gets used in the bridegroom service, uh, for Holy week. So we, 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 we say, be watchful of my soul. Be watchful of my soul. So these are terms that get, and, and then of course the famous passage in Peter, where he, where he says, be watchful, be sober. All of you be vigilant, all of you for the devil. Is a roaming lion seeking whom he will devour. So, what does it mean conceptually? So, I think conceptually, when you're looking at it, uh, when you're where neepsis to it to, to Nipsis, uh, sobriety conceptually is being unmuddied. That's the way I like to. That's the way I like to picture it. Actually, it's being unmuddled, unmuddied, um, in the sense of being drunk or being under the influence you know, if you talk to someone, if you have ever had the experience of being, um, drunk or high or otherwise, uh, physically altered, you know, even if you've never somehow never had those experiences, you know, maybe you've had to, uh, maybe you've had a surgical procedure and they've had to put you under, right. So you're, you know, so someone else has to drive you home from the doctor's office or you've, uh, you know, you've had a root canal. So they prescribe you, uh, some very strong pain meds. And you find your mind is kind of muddied. You find it's muddled. You find it's foggy. You find you can't function like all the pieces are there, but you, the, the synapses aren't firing. You can't make things work. Um, sobriety is an unmuddiness. Um, and if you've ever been mad enough at your spouse or your kids or eaten up with some passion or had uh, a, you know, a temptation, really lock its claws into you. You can't think about anything else. You, how do you put it? I can't think straight, right? I can't think straight. I can't speak straight. I can't act straight. Why? You're muddied. Well, I mean, so that's the that's the intoxicating effect of evil. Like it's not just physical sobriety like you don't have alcohol in you. It is the unmuddiness that comes by being either physically unsober spiritually, emotionally unsober, or both. Watchfulness is that quality, if you're being watchful, well, what are you going to see? Well, you're going to see those darts of the evil one closing in and approaching before they get there. If you're not being watchful, then the thing crouches and has you in its claws before you know it. If you are being watchful, you see like, okay, out in the distance that that's coming. You know, I'm I'm I mean, and out in the distance could be a lot of things. It could be like, hey, uh, you know, I I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, I haven't eaten all day. I'm kind of exhausted. I can feel myself being a little on edge. Maybe I should have a quick lunch before the spouse and kids get home because crouching in the distance is my temper. And maybe I'm really likely to snap at them. That's being watchful. That's being vigilant. And having the sobriety to know, like, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm, my thinking's got to be clear, not muddy, by my own pride. Like, oh, I'll get it. No, no, you won't. Like, so take
0: care of it. So these two words uh, that we're discussing are you just described them in their Greek context, like being awake, watchful. Is there un-mody. any other
1: context?
0: We invented, but, but the words that we yeah, <laughs> except it's a Latin word you just used to describe. We invented context.
1: Latin. We invented the
0: Latin. <laughs> but but both words vigilant and sober are both Latin roots. They come from French, if I'm not mistaken, and ultimately you know like Old English, French, and and Latin. So do they do they carry a different connotation from their Latin roots versus their Greek roots? Are they are they perfectly synonymous?
1: I mean, truthfully, I don't know. Like uh, honestly, I really don't know. So uh, have you have you looked that up? Do you have it? Do you have an idea?
0: I, I only with sober. I didn't really look at vigilant too closely, but sober seems if I looked at the etymology right, like it had a very close connotation with drunkenness, which is why you usually find sobers not being drunk or intoxicated as the primary English definition, though secondary one secondary so sober definitions are closer to um neepsis.
1: And well, and neepsis, you know, when you translate neepsis we translate neepsis, it does very often get translated as as watchfulness. So there 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 so there 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 appears to be patristically and scripturally there appears to be a shade at least, a shade of distinction. I don't want to say difference like they're totally different and there's no overlap. I and we, we we do that too much as a culture. We're like, oh, this word means this, and it doesn't mean that, and and that's been the uh, that's been the spawn of much poor biblical scholarship. But if it but um, what I but there there appears to be some distinction between nepsis and uh and watch vigilance, and I think the the watchful end of of. Of Niepces, the watchful end of sobriety is that end where you're like, okay, I'm thinking clearly enough to assess. Um, I'm unmuddied enough to assess. The vigilance is the being on deck and being on guard and, uh, and available to assess. And the thing is, um, kind of what we see is if we don't attend to that, not only will we fail to, to do it, but like, we won't even be on deck to, to do it. Like, I I think when we, when we get caught up in the muddiness of our thoughts, we get caught up in, uh, the things that make us unsober emotionally, mentally, whatever, uh, you know, then we're not where we need to be to even be vigilant. Like you're, you're not there. And, And I think, you know, as, and this can happen, like, especially like, let's, let's take something from both our everyday lives. Like we're both married, right? How, how often are, you know, how often are you, you know, you're supposed to be doing something with the family, you know, maybe it's dinner, maybe it's playing with the kids, whatever, but you've got something from work on your mind, you know, right. You're thinking about something that happened at the parish or something that happened at work or something, you're a retreat, you're planning or whatever. And, and, And the wife says, Hey, come back to us. You're not here. You're not present. You're like, I'm here. I've been here for the last two hours. Maybe I'm even like having a half-hearted conversation. Like, no, you're not here. So, I mean, that's that's a lack of vigilance. Vigilance would be, you're here. We're planted. We're here. Yes. Um, so you can physically be somewhere. You can go through the motions and not be there. And that's that's I think that's the antithesis of vigilance. So like, if we can look at that and be like, okay, vigilance would be what you should should be doing in that scenario.
0: Could we look at those two words opposite? Even like in that in the in the uh, bridegroom service that you re- referenced you know, with Grigorite, they're they're playing with the word Grigoreo, which means to be awake, right? So it's like, do you have to be vigilant first? Do do you actually have to be spiritually awake before you can be sober and watchful?
1: I think, so I think that, I think sobriety comes first. I think sobriety comes first because, you know, as someone, right, as someone who has, uh, who is well experienced with both uh, physical and spiritual sobriety and the lack thereof, um, I can say, it's like, if you're not sober, you definitely won't be vigilant. I mean, if your mind, you know, physically, Physically, you can't physically be vigilant if you're not physically sober, and that's why you know if you if you have you know if you have some kind of surgery and they have to put you on pain meds or they you know they you know they put you under for a procedure. That's why you can't drive yourself home, right? That's why someone else has to drive you home because you know you you can't be vigilant on the road. Your body isn't sober Um, if you're if your mind is distracted with any manner of intoxicating thoughts, right? I mean, you really think about it. You really think about the way thoughts that obsess us and kind of take over uh, our attention, the way they – it really is intoxicating. Like, you know, you you can miss whole afternoons going on around you because you're lost in this intoxicating – Mental see, and it might be stuff that's thoroughly unpleasant. It might be stuff you absolutely hate. You're angry about, um, or whatever. Well, you, you certainly can't be vigilant in that state. So I think the sobriety has to
0: come first. I really do. Um, just off experience, even conceptually, you were you were talking about physically, but what about conceptually? How can well, that, you be, how can you be watchful if you're asleep? Conceptually. Uh, it's like the. the Say it again. I, I I think it, I think of the word, Grigoreo or Grigorite as being awake, like actually being able to perceive the things going around you, actually, um, where you're actually aware of what's happening around you. And then the watchfulness, the sobriety, is being something that you have to perfect once you're awake just conceptually. I mean, that's where the, the, but once you get into the physical world, there's so much overlap, but well, I was I, just thinking about it on the conceptual level. One think conceptually, right? Like conceptually, if you're not
1: aware, like if you're not watchful, right? If you're not, if, so if, if we, if we conceptualize it out and we say, okay, the, the one is, the sobriety is the watchfulness and the vigilance is the wakefulness. Well, if you're not watchful, you can't stay awake. Like, I mean, like that, that's just it. Like if you're, if you're, if your mind is muddied up, if you've got stuff going on in the parish, muddying up your mind, now we're conceptual, right? You will not be awake at your kid's birthday party. Your mind is in that last parish council meeting. And the fact that there's an emergency session called to hammer out whatever crisis uh revolves around you know we changed the color in the carpets and now i'm never giving money to the church again because uh, my great great grandfather put those ugly carpets in and the whole of orthodoxy depends on on those carpets by the way that's the real kind of stuff that gets uh, that that gets uh, up in everyone's craw instead of uh instead of their own repentance and and transforming their soul it's like upholstery Uh, and and, and and that happens, right? Well, if you're if you're obsessed with that, if your mind is there and you're at your kid's birthday party and your mind is on this meeting about the carpets, you're definitely not awake for that birthday party. You might as well have slept all the way through it. Because you didn't hear half of the conversation that your kid was trying to have with you. You didn't hear half of the half of the things your wife was saying to you. You weren't really present. So I mean you're not awake, right? What's the difference between that and being drunk, really? Like you're in an altered state, you're not present, and you're no fun to be around. And guess what? Your life was just really unmanageable, and you weren't awake for it. So the sobriety, the watchfulness, I'd say has to come first so that you don't stumble through the afternoon. Uh, And yeah, you'll be stumbling through that afternoon because your head's on this meeting about like, oh, I can't lose the next donor. I mean, you know, really – I, I, so I mean, I guess that's the way I parse it out. maybe it's maybe it doesn't matter which one we see coming first, but that's that's my opinion.
0: yeah, they they seem to overlap so much that I, I don't know but the, but there is, but the distinctions are clear. Perhaps in each situation, each individual life, uh, the dynamism of life, it you you have to deal with one or the other. Mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, there are distinctions between the two. And we're responsible to be sober and awake. Yeah. And there's, and I mean, I would say, I I
1: would say maybe there's a little chicken and egg going on, right? Like, I mean, you know, which came first, you know, do they, or, you know, maybe it's more of a, and and I think the good way to look at, maybe it's more of a dialectic, like these are things that play off of each other and that kind of go together. Um, but yeah. So, uh, so let me ask you, what, how do you think, since we've, since we've already separated out the physical from the conceptual, how, how do those two things relate to each other? Like conceptually, I think we've kind of talked a little bit about how they're alike. How are they different? How is conceptual and physical sobriety
0: different, do you think? If sobriety is both uh, being sober from an external force, and then also, an in internal disposition where you are seeking to be temperate right where where there's not huge variations in emotion, there's not huge variations in attentiveness um, and then in vigilance is is wakefulness or watchfulness um, the, the difference is the the scope or what what the soul is actually doing if i'm being watchful, i'm aware i'm trying to be aware of oncoming uh, situations i'm trying to be aware of my situations and looking for um uh, for for enemies coming, you know, whatever dangerous situation. So I'm I'm trying to make my soul aware of my surroundings, and then so sobriety is a willful act that uh, a willful act of integrity in the midst of of whatever dangers come and reacting appropriately to whatever the watchfulness of my soul has brought to my attention. The, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: I I, my, I I like that. I like that. Now my my thinking on the difference is comes from kind of a, a another angle. I think the big difference between, in my opinion, I mean, I, there's obviously this is one of those things where there's going to be, a, like, I think a variety of right answers. Like, there, this is not like, oh, this is the one thing. Uh, there's probably a lot of ways that they're alike and a lot of ways that they're different. But I think one of the real important things if you're trying to manage them one of the real important differences, in my opinion, between physical and emotional slash spiritual sobriety, watchfulness, whatever, is the way that time factors in. Um, Because when you're talking physical sobriety, time works wonders. Time will get you a really long way. Um, You know, if you've had enough to drink, um, you know, one of the things you learn by having a drinking problem. One of the things you learn is that all of the uh, quote-unquote remedies to sober up don't work. Like black coffee will not actually sober you up. Um, You know, having, you know, delicious, greasy food will not actually sober you up. Hair of the Um, dog. Hair of the dog will definitely not sober you up. Um, So, like, so what is the only thing – that actually sobers you up physically. Well, it's time. You've got to give the liver time to filter out all the poison you just dumped into yourself. And then, and only then, will you actually be physically sober. And and, and it, you may or may not feel like you might have that delicious triple cheeseburger while you're drunk and feel like you're not as drunk. You're still as drunk as you were. Like it's how you feel, you're still as intoxicated as you were. Your feeling is not a good measure for how sober you are uh, because you're already not sober. But so the only thing that works is time for physical uh, unimpairedness. However, in mental and spiritual sobriety, I think time has a very different effect. Because if you just put in time, the things that you are... Uh, the, 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 things that are intoxicating, you know, the resentments, the anger, the lust, lust is very intoxicating. Um, as every man especially knows, um, all of those things, they can actually make it worse. I know that when I am angry about something, the more time you give me the angrier I'll get. They like, if, if we have a big fight in the morning and we never address it. And I have all day to stew on that. It is a worse resentment by the evening. Uh, Now, not everyone is wired that way. But if you're looking at that, if you're thinking, if you think about the many things that do muddy your mind, the many resentments, bitterness, things you hold on to, whatever it is that all muddy your mind up and make you emotionally and spiritually unsober. A lot of them, if you just give time, if you don't actually address the thing, If there's not a real repentance and amends and wrestling through and all of that, the things that come with vigilance, if you just give it only time, it entrenches and it just sits there and then it kind of becomes cold and bitter and it becomes a resentment. And so I think time when it comes to emotional and spiritual sobriety, time can be more dangerous. Now, time can also be a little beneficial in that it can give you enough room to cool down and then – um, more level-headedly address. But I think there's, I think there's a a turning point. I think there's a fork in the road where like, okay, enough room has been given to address this in a level-headed manner. And now it either gets addressed in a timely fashion or it turns into a resentment. And, And So I think when you're talking spiritual and emotional sobriety, that's the danger is that if we don't address this in a timely fashion, it turns into a resentment. Um, and if we do, uh, then it, it can be. So time is touchier, whereas for physical sobriety, time is like the lion's share of the thing that you need. Um, for mental and spiritual, it's, it's just it, – it, it has less – it, it's, it's less of the equation. You know it's and it's a touchier thing because if you don't manage that turning point, uh, now you've got a resentment on your hands and, and resentments are very
0: intoxicating time in in the context of sobriety is the only thing that will allow you to become sober if if you are intoxicated. How does that relate? Uh, very briefly, uh, how does that relate in the context of addiction? Does the time actually benefit or does it only bring you into the moment of sobriety from which you were running in the first place? Well, I mean,
1: yeah, well, no, that's why, that's why in, in the language of recovery, right? That's why in the language of recovery, there's a big distinction made between being dry and being sober. So in the language of recovery, being sober has to deal with, um, being sober has to deal with, uh, addressing and amending your character defects so that you've had an inner transformation that leads to a different way of living. Um, so that like kind of the, the character defects and resentments and all these things that lead you to your uh, substance of choice, uh, are no longer running the show. Um so you can be dry. And if you don't work on your character, uh, you'll be a pretty miserable individual, and everyone around you will be miserable, and you'll still relate to things like an addict, whereas, uh, whereas to actually work on sobriety to actually be watchful, to practice neepsis, right, to actually, be, to actually be watchful and be sober, means you're relating to life differently which takes vigilance. And this is why those things overlap. So now it's like, okay, we are, we are, we are relating to life differently. And if I don't manage my thoughts, and I don't manage my resentments, and I don't manage my character defects, then we will still relate to life, like a drunk, like a, you know, an anger obsessed person, a lust obsessed person, you know, if you don't deal with your resentments, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we've all had that guy, we've all had that person that we know that like, they're putting on the smile, and they're putting on the facade. But you can tell there's a lot of seething, let's say, rage right under it, and it's very disquieting. Like, for however pleasant they may try to appear, you can tell it's not true, and that's that's what not that's what non that's what being just dry is like, as opposed to actually being sober to where you've addressed the underlying rage and you've addressed the character defect. Um, So I I think that's, I I think that's kind of the thing. I think, you know, I I think in, in a program of, so in a program of recovery, the physical sobriety end of things is, has to do with getting the organism, the physical organism in check enough to where you can do the character defect work and keeping the physical organism in check enough to do the character defect work.
0: Yeah, I, I would. I entirely agree with you. I think that that is probably the way the order in which it works most often. Because if you're not actually physically sober, the the capacity of your mind and soul to actually be aware of of pain or or suffering or a malady uh, within you, whether it be psychological or emotional, uh, long enough and clearly enough to fix the issue won't happen. I would agree with you entirely.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, so like when you're talking about it, I mean, like you look at St. Paul, right? When he talks about the, when he talks about the first and second Adam, he says first came the physical man and the spiritual, right? So he says the first man was uh, was uh, was earthly and the second one was a heavenly being heavenly spirit, you know, and so it's, so when he talks about the first Adam, second Adam, first Adam being Hadam, and the second one being Christ, he says the first came, the first one came earthly, and the second one came spiritual, and then the, uh, and then of course, you would go over to James, which is one of my favorite places to go, and he says, um, he says, if you say to your, if you see that a brother is hungry, and, and cold, and you say to him, be filled, peace be upon you, be filled, and be warm, and you do not give him something to eat and something to warm himself with, what good is your peace? First, attend to his neat need, physical needs and then let your peace rest upon him. So, I mean, there, there really is just kind of like a hierarchy of needs that we have to attend to. We're not, you know, and and we're we're not docetists. We're not docetists. We're not, you know, we're, we, we don't have this kind of Gnostic uh, separation of body and soul, where it's like, well, all you need is this mental exercise. Like, no, man, if, if I'm, you know, it's like, no, we got to attend to the physical stuff. And, and it kind of becomes a gatekeeper because you know what, if the hardware isn't even going to be working, I mean, how do you, how can you talk to someone about that? Uh, and, and this is, so it's, yeah, you do have to address those things just because they're kind of front and center and they're kind of, uh, they, they, they can be so overloading on the picture that like without them how do you even get to the bigger stuff? But they're also easier fixes. Like addressing character defects takes a lot more time and and difficulty as opposed to saying, just don't put this in that glass right now. You know, or if you're if you're like, okay, you know, you're you're really hung you know, you're you're really hungry. I mean, like you've got, you know, right, you haven't eaten in two days. I could fix that problem in moments like that's a, that's actually pr- a pretty re- easy thing to solve. So it's like, yeah, it, you know, some of those more mundane things are actually a lot easier to deal with. So it's like, all right, so that's your frontier stuff. Um, and that's the way that works. But, but yeah, I mean, it does act as kind of a gatekeeper. You do have to address those things up front.
0: Yes. so there is an interface between the physical and the spiritual and it goes back and forth i don't think you can like when you it's almost like thinking about the trinity or you you either think of the individual person within the trinity or the three-in-one but once you focus on the three-in-one the persons become more apparent as the fathers say or if you focus in on one of the persons the, the trinity becomes front and center so like this interface is like there, there's a spiritual problem in most cases that drives people to addiction or to being intoxicated. Most people don't drink to being drunk every weekend just for fun. I don't think. I don't think. Like in my own experience at least, I don't get drunk to have fun. It's either because I made a mistake and drank too much having fun or if I'm if I'm going to the bar intentionally to get drunk, It wasn't because being drunk was fun. My, in my case, there was, there was a spiritual malady fueling that. And then, and not in every case was that spiritual malady easy to see or uh, like so apparent that, you know, it wasn't glaringly apparent, uh, I should say. But then, then you get into this back and forth, this spiraling effect, you know, it's like spiritual malady, I'm getting drunk now getting drunk is probably in some cases making that spiritual malady worse or at least letting me hide from it more and then you you go down this path of exponential worsening until you're just in a place where you've hit rock bottom and you don't really even have any concept how you got there so this interface is is really dynamic in, in its and it's unique to each individual
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny that, you know, at the, at the end side of addiction, there is a lot of misery. Uh, It's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, the big book talks about says, you know, we, we drank because we enjoyed the effect it had on us. Okay. But then there's also a lot of misery, right? Where you want to stop, but you can't. So it is a pretty miserable thing. But I think when we look at, when you look at the way that sin crouches and sinks its claws into all of us, it's pretty miserable but you can't stop like I, 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 you know, I don't know anybody who's like super resentful and caught up in gossip and, uh, you know, and everything that would call all those obsessions enjoyable. Like I can't get these neurotic thoughts and these neurotic worries out of my head. It's not enjoyable. But man, like if you tell them, well, just quit thinking about, it. oh, no, no way. Like, no, I can't let that go. Like, I can't let that go. But you're making yourself miserable doing it. And that's a real, that's very analogous. That's very, very analogous. And because I, I think the better theologically, I think the better thing to draw on is kind of our psychosomatic theology as Orthodox Christians, where we take for granted that the body is involved in prayer, that the body is involved in sanctification and theosis. And so it's like, okay, well, then the body is also involved in um, either our. Our lack of sobriety or our watchfulness. So, like, I mean, you know, right? How much? So, like, if you look at, so even looking at that, like, if you read through the Desert Fathers, like, it's not strange to see them talk about, hey, how much are you eating? How much are you not eating? And then some people whose spiritual path was not sober were like, they're trying to do too much. They're trying to keep vigil too long. They're trying to go to extremes. Or spiritually, they're kind of going off the rails. What's really interesting when you look in the Desert Fathers, I, I've seen on multiple occasions they'll give someone like that kind of this uh, this advice: eat more often, sleep a little more, just don't leave your cell. Like keep vigilant. Don't 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 step away. Don't abandon your post. But they're like, well, like how much? What does your schedule look like? Well, I eat once every third day. And, uh, you know, I keep I, I once every third day and, you know, I pray for so many hours and they're like, all right, well, eat once a day and pray this many times, but don't leave yourself. Right. Because if you abandon in your post, then you're really done. But look what they're doing. They're saying, you know, get a little get a little more nourishment, get a little more rest. Why? Because your thinking will be less muddied. Your battle with your own thoughts and sins will be less muddied. If you're having a muddied battle and you are wearing yourself out and you want to keep wearing yourself out because it feels harder core, um, what you're also doing is you're fighting poorly. You're repenting poorly. You're doing it poorly. So let's remove the poor part and do it well. So maybe you do need a little more food and a little more rest. And that's a reasonable thing. So it's, it's real interesting. There's so many going to the Desert Fathers. There's so many of them when they get someone who's kind of unsober, they're kind of going overboard, like eat more often, keep a little less vigil, but don't leave yourself. So do sleep and rest have a place? Yeah. It's called, you know, like recovery. And I don't mean recovery in, in the addiction sense. I mean, it like in the, in, in the sports context. Like you will not perform if you can't recover or put it another way, you recover, um, you perform according to how you recover. So high level athletes actually use their recovery period as part of their training. Like people who do jujitsu professionally, like I know a few, um, I, I know a few and their recovery is scheduled as blocks of training. I mean so there's a big component to that so don't think it's like oh i'll just keep uh burning the candle at both ends and i'll be extra spiritual and sober no you're gonna be less you're gonna perform less well
0: there's also the component of of the the, the psychosomatic trap to be ensnared by something in the beginning you know the first time you go out and drink and have a good time with your buddies, you're left with, with a great experience, a great psychological, emotional, whatever experience. Many times, the first time you smoke weed, the first time you watch porn, whatever whatever the thing is, there, there's a positive psychological, emotional connection made with that thing that, that causes you to go back to it. And then, then the habit begins because we like many other animals on this earth can all sorts of psychological and habitual things can be manifested and protracted by means of good experience oh the master will give me food if x you know just like pavlov's uh, experiments with with animals so in some cases i think that that our sobriety or lack thereof can be, especially the lack thereof, or, I mean, in either case, is is habituated. We habituate ourselves toward one or the other based on our watchfulness and our wakefulness toward the benefit or or the perceived benefit of said action. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah,
1: and that's part of the reason why, like, in sobriety, like in, 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 in addictions recovery, for example, they'll tell you, like, they'll talk about not romanticizing the drink. You know, uh, most people, most people who who drink heavily, um, you're chasing the early good days of drinking. You're remembering that you're reliving
0: a little bit of it. Um, And those good old days don't come back. And And, and some of that's nostalgia to begin with, because if you've ever gone back and watched T-Man cartoons, they aren't (laughs) what you remember them being.
1: Oh yeah, but not everything holds up. Like you got to leave some things in the past. Not everything holds up. Some things do hold up. Like I still enjoy the original Karate Kid. Like the that first the first one, that first one holds up. Uh, is a fun family film. Um, however, there are a number uh, there are a number of, uh, of entries from uh, that I think I've gone back and watched from old vintage cartoon that, that yeah it's like oh my god the, the writing was terrible this was awful and you just gotta just let it be a good memory sometimes but that but uh, but in addictions recovery that's what happens you're you are you're chasing that original love that original lust for it and that's why um so even though like the promises of a say we will neither regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it uh, but that's why a good sponsor will also tell you it's important not to forget your rock bottom like don't like they they won't pull you out of that pain too quick because it's like hey don't forget this how much this hell hurt because you can have it all back you can have all this hell back if you want it and the second time it's worse like you can have like don't worry there's like like you if you think like how much how th- how bad can this be it can actually get worse <laughs> you know, and, and that and, and it's like, okay, it's important to remember that. So you're like, uh, you know, is any of the good stuff? It, it, how much of that do I want back? And so a lot of a lot of relapse happens with like, forgetting that and not and, and, and deciding, yeah, we can flirt with that. Maybe, maybe we won't get it back, but you will, you will get your hell back. And, uh, and so like, the same thing sort of happens, but it, it is, it's nostalgia, you know, and the way you romanticize it, the way you remember the uh, the early days of whatever you're nostalgic about, it's never really true. It's never really real. It's the fantasy version of uh, whatever it is you're remembering. It's not the real thing because
0: the the real thing was not the way you remember it. No, oh, that was a psychosomatic dream too, fueled by all sorts of endorphins and chemicals in your brain.
1: Yeah, and the only and the only way you won't be able to know the difference is to be watchful, to be sober enough to go to to look at the whole data set, to be watchful and sober enough to look at the whole data set and say, um, I do remember something pleasurable. This nostalgia for it is also uh, somewhat fantasy based and uh, and deceptive, and the good things which i will then forfeit are actually more real that's the thing the muddied the muddied effects of uh of either alcohol or sin or whatever the passions the passions are very muddying i mean you thought look at saint james again where he says you know why do you why do you struggle in war against one another is it not because of your passions i mean what more what more muddied effect can there be than fratricide? Than to go to war with one another over what something that we both lose? Um, you know, when God says to Cain, uh, "Sin is a crouching demon at the door, set to pounce." Right? It's croucher. It's pouncing. Uh, you can master it. You can overcome it with you if you will. And he doesn't. Well, I mean, you know, like the moment where he is so overcome by this bestial demon. That he cut beco- that he images it. He becomes it. He crouches in the field and waits for his brother and kills it. So the 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 robles, the crouching demon of sin that God identifies, he then becomes and then he crouches for his brother. What comes out of the lack of that sobriety? His brother is dead. It's fratricide, and and then he says, "Whoever finds me will kill me." Like he's ready to despair of life itself. I mean, I mean, I mean, it, like. Do you need a better image for a hangover? Do you need a better image for for post for post-bender regrets? Oh my god, I'll never do this again. I'm ready to die. Just kill me. Give me some black. Oh, this is terrible. I can't imagine it getting any worse. Oh, it can get so much worse. Like, well, what's what's actually more real than that intoxication that led you to these regrets and these consequences? Well, more real would be if we do not succumb if if indeed we can overcome this crouching demon then maybe i can make amends with my brother and then us two priests can then go offer sacrifices again and hey maybe both bars will be accepted man you know the septuagint in the septuagint reading for the dialogue between cain and god is really different do you remember what it says i do not In the Septuagint, instead of God saying, sin is a robles, a crouching demon, and it's desirous for you, but you can overcome it, the Septuagint actually tells us what Cain got wrong. In the Septuagint, God says to Cain, why are you angry? If you had rightly divided it and rightly offered it, what would you have to be angry about? So God makes it clear. He's like, if you had rightly done this, what would you have to be angry about? Now, I mean, if you put both of those together, you've got a really clear image. So from an addiction standpoint, look at character defects. Like you're not rightly dividing this. You're not rightly taking care of your wife and kids. You're not rightly attending to your, to your uh, responsibilities at work. You're not rightly dividing up anything. And then you're angry or resentful with the world because you're not getting treated the way you want to get treated or your consequences are piling up. Yeah, but if you had rightly divided it, if you had rightly sacrificed, if you had rightly done what was your duty to do, what would you have to be angry about? And that's why the Croucher is at your door. And so, like, I mean, it with some sobriety, Cain might have said that. and not, Wow, I need to address my character defects. I didn't rightly do this at all. Maybe I come back to my brother. Hey, help me instead of me crouching like a demon, like, Hey, how do I rightly divide up and rightly offer to our God? You're a priest. I'm a priest. We're both offering. I did not do my, I did not do my part rightly, but instead he images their parents who also did not confess to God when they had the chance to take accountability for their sin in the garden. He also doesn't take accountability and say, yeah, I didn't. They, 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 they said, I didn't do. And he didn't say, I didn't do. When they had the chance to confess, they didn't confess. And then sin lied crouching like a crouching predator and a serpent at the door and the tree. And the end result, someone dies. I mean that's that's what you're looking at but yeah, but that's yeah, I mean I, I mean so it's if we're looking at that and we're saying well if we're sober, we can look at that and say let me address my character defects. I did not I did not keep my side of the street clean. I did not rightly divide. okay, so what do I have to be angry about? I mean and then, you know, if, if I'm it, it, now that I'm in that territory, well, there's nothing to crouch and pounce on me man. Why would I crouch
0: and pounce on my brother? He's the one who's going to help me rightly divide it. We, we've talked about the results of not being sober, or vigilant. But how how in life, like in actuality, and I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear yours as well. How do we live a life that is sober and wakeful? I mean, for me, it like if I'm being if I'm lacking sobriety and I'm being lacking vigilance, it means that I have either focused the the desire and the will of my heart onto things of the world and the cares of the world, or become vainglorious glorious about myself. You know, it's like. If, if, it's, if it's bitterness and gossip, it's because you can't say that about me. So I'm, I'm vainglorious. Or if it's the world sucks, these people all hurt me, and now I don't know what to do with this hurt, I'm just going to go turn to the bottle and, and bury it in, in, in alcohol or through cocaine or whatever. It, it's because I've taken the, the watchfulness designed, the, the watchfulness that God gave us, Is supposed to be focused toward him. So that means that I've that I've lost my first love. So if if I'm out here and being if my sobriety and my vigilance are misplaced, they need to be replaced through repentance toward God and His love, especially in the person of Christ Jesus our Lord. That would be my first how. Like, so if you're dealing with a lack of sobriety, if you're dealing with a lack of vigilance, focus your vigilance toward your first love, Jesus.
1: Well, I think, I, I think kind of the reason why both Cain and his parents don't repent, don't confess, is because the, the actual way to be this kind of vigilant, it's not glamorous, it's not sexy. It doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't even feel good. Like it's that there's nothing pretty about it. It's, you know, it's self-effacing and messy. And it's like, okay, well, I've got to look, I've been, I've got to come to you and say, Hey man, here's where I messed up. And regardless of how you messed up, it doesn't change what I messed up. Regardless of what you contributed to this situation, it doesn't change my actions and the consequences thereof. Because as long as I can look at where you messed up, I can sort of numb the pain of my own responsibility. But if, to, in order to do this. So, I mean, like, you know, it, it looks like being like, okay, well, let me just see if, like, can I just be a more attentive and pleasant person at the dinner table? Like, it's, it's just that small and minute and unglamorous consistently and that's that's a harder sell i mean it's It's
0: just it's a much harder sell true but it's like it it excuses us we are far we have far diminished i don't know how to say it properly but our excuse for not doing it is significantly less than cain or adam and eve i don't know what sort of theophany they had as far as the coming Christ and the example of God uh, loving them, the way that we have in the incarnate Lord. And I, I believe that God did show the, them his mercy because he gave them sacrifice. He gave them a way out. He He continued on in their lives instead of just abandoning abandoning them. So they did have an idea of, of a merciful God to turn to, but we in 2021, with the perfect revelation of God to us being Jesus Christ, and and His willingness as God to deal with my my stuff. For us not to turn to Him, for us not to be vigilant towards His will and and offer our will to Him, is a crime against humanity. It, it it almost brings the soul to tears. It's like, how do you not want to image him? How does the soul not turn to him? How do you how do you turn to drugs and or the emotional high of Facebook? How do you how do you how do we turn on the TV and ignore him? Why 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 is it excusable to hide in these places instead of turning to him? We have the perfect image.
1: Well, I don't think it is excusable, right? I mean, we do it. I think I think part of I think part mm-hmm. of genuine repentance and part of spiritual sobriety is really looking at saying, we don't do this as we ought to. And it's not okay. And the only way to really amend that is the unglamorous little stuff. It's just not it's not going to be amended by some big sweeping statement from the church or by some big, uh, global program. It's going to be amended by doing all of these little glamorous piddly sacrifices that are just, that, that, that just slog through, you know, like we say like, Oh, it's the little things that matter. It's the little things that keep a relationship alive. Yeah. And it's the little things that keep a spiritual life alive. It's all the little choices that then add up into big, uh, a big picture And we try, we want to jump just straight to the big picture and it doesn't work because when you do that, it doesn't work because you don't have the basis of all the little pieces put together in order to make it work. So, you know, think smaller, be humble, like just try to stop being a jerk at lunch at work. Like that's, it's really like, just pick something that small, you know, yell at one less car today and your drive like it's really that small but that kind of vigilance over yourself that kind of watchfulness in the little things it adds up and that's what adds up to something great uh, but if you're trying to go if you're trying to go to the
0: big stuff it, it, it's just a whitewash too and remember that you're not fighting against flesh and blood right i mean when Cain killed his brother he was imaging a devil i mean he was and we tend to do that. We take on, as we've spoken of in, in other podcasts, we take on like mirrors, we reflect the demon that, that we're giving control to. And and that's something that in a loving relationship with God has to stop, y'all. Because everything is in his hand, and he loves that person that you're mad at, and he loves you, and he wants you. To put all of your life into his hand. Like yesterday, I was anxious about some things. And I was like, Bro, what are you anxious about, man? E- either God has complete sovereignty and he's going to be good to you and give you what you need in every moment, or you're going to go off and try to do it yourself. But there's no in between on that. Not in my life. Either I hate what he hates and love what he loves. And I want to do his will and be obedient to him. Or I'm going to go out and be vainglorious and do my own thing. But one will result in in an appropriately watchful and sober and Christian life. And the other one's just going to look like simple Father Joseph doing his own thing with no good results.
1: Well, and worse, if we don't address those little things leading up to that, it makes a mockery of the biggest thing, which is our identity in Christ. So, if, we're, so if, we, you know, if we take on ourselves the name of Orthodox Christian, or worse for you and I, priest, right? And then we are still bitter and angry and resentful and cynical and cruel and impatient. And, and, and we don't allow, and because we're going to fail in these ways, um, you know, we don't allow uh, the people around us to also see us repent, say we're sorry, make amends, endeavor to improve our lives. You know, then we make a mockery of the title we've taken on. And because then we're going and saying, you know, this is the true faith and we have the great deposit of the apostles has been entrusted to our hands. And then we behave worse than a bunch of heathens who never knew Christ. Well, then you're making a mockery of the thing you've taken on. and Or, you know, the same with our, our priesthood, you and I. But if we, it, it, again, the, the caveat there is, you know, that the comeback is always greater, uh, of greater value than the... Uh, than immediate success. That's why Christ says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than a hundred righteous men, uh, because the heart is that difficult to re- rehabilitate, but it's that much more valuable. So he he's looking and saying this is of even greater witness and value because everyone's going to going to fail, than having someone who has th- thrived and overcome the failure is of. Infinite value, more than just a hundred people who got it right the first go. Um, so, you know, if, if we don't do that, if we're not sober and vigilant, and then at least allow our repentance to be as visible as our uh, our missteps, then we make a mockery of the title we put on ourselves. Uh, and and that's that's a very real thing. That's a very real thing. it, it, it should be a very it should be very sobering to us to to recognize the fact that we can insist to our bishops and our councils and our communities that we are quote unquote members in good standing when there's nothing about our lives that are remotely orthodox, that we are that we are angry and vengeful and petty and will throw the priest and the community under the bus at the drop of a hat over the the slightest external thing in the church, um, and What in what way are our lives orthodox if all these little things aren't in place? And we to start seeing that, like, is that genuine repentance of life there and that genuine transformation of life there? And if we're not, then it really doesn't matter how big the checks we're writing to the church are or how many things we've volunteered to help out at are or how many how much we baked or whatever. It doesn't matter if we're not genuinely transforming our lives. And are you and me, man? Like if we're, you know, if my life is not transformed, then it doesn't matter how often, how how awesome uh, I can give a sermon. Like all of that theatrics is means nothing without a genuinely transformed life. You know, so... But And and the genuine transformation is the little things. It's that little stuff. So uh, you won't see it if you're not sober. You won't see it if your mind is muddied. And you won't get to it if you're not vigilant. So uh, my closing thought there is be vigilant, be watchful. And if you're vigilant and watchful in the little things, then the big things will fall all by themselves, given enough time.
0: Uh, amen i exhorted uh, some of the parishioners here in cheyenne uh, last week to to be honest you know I, I don't think most people expect perfection and i think that as christians we have we have an idea of what a christian should look like that we try to we try to live up to that expectation and in the process lose ourselves and and then people don't ever see me they see the father joseph that i think that they want to see so i exhorted the people to be honest be truthful be who you are because if you're not being who you are and that person that you actually are is sinful let us see your sins ask for help in your sins be repentant in the community about your sins. Why? So you're not a hypocrite. So the world doesn't look at you and say, well, you say this, you act like this, but you're actually this. Instead, just be honest. Be open. Be clear that you're a sinner, but, you will, but live a life that's in motion towards transformation. Live a life towards being transformed through repentance, honesty and love in the communion of the church. That would be my closing statement. Just be honest. And that's going to wrap it up here today. We're having some issues with uh, technology, audio technology. So uh, I lost Father Michael, but uh, very grateful to him for such a great conversation. Uh, Grateful for you all for listening. Uh, Please like and subscribe uh, on On our facebook page on the battlefield podcast and find us on anchor.fm on the battlefield you can also find our shorts on youtube and rumble at uh, otb shorts and again we're super grateful for all of you and your faithful uh, listening to this podcast Uh, please leave your comments and remarks on our facebook page Uh, we do check that regularly and may the blessings of our lord jesus christ are risen And returning Lord, by the power of his spirit, be with you, and may you be strong, vigilant, and sober on the battlefield.